Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about inevitable evil and alarming abductions. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice talents Kristen Mass and Eric Peabody, both of them top-performing contestants and fourth-round finalists in Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's latest Evil Idol horror voice acting competition, which has just recently concluded. If you enjoy their performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and check out theirs and all the other entries in the competition. 
Though neither of tonight's featured performers took home the 2019 crown, that honor went to Luis Bermudez. They came very close, and I'm certain you'll enjoy what they and everyone else has to offer. You can find Chilling Tales for Dark Nights in the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine, or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation to see the 2019 roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances from our most recent contest. We and the candidates appreciate your support. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is both written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 13, Kristen Mass. In it, we get acquainted with an evil you can try to run from, but can never escape. Without further ado, I present to you The Woods and the Goddess. The far-off, unfocused stare of a corpse is something that still unnerves me. Their gaze, locked on to a spot somewhere out beyond the physical realm. The milky haze of the degrading cornea acting like a barrier between the living world and the endless black void of their saucer-sized pupils. That I can handle. It freaks me out, but I can handle it. I crouched beside the body, taking in its grotesque form. But this? This was unfucking natural. The body was male, mid-twenties. Skin barely stretched over bone, and nearly mummified, with patches of blackened skin resembling frostbite. He sat in a high-back rolling chair, slouched forward in front of his computer, one bony hand on the keyboard, the other on the mouse. His sunken eyes were set on the screen, his gaunt, slack-jawed face transfixed by the blank monitor. Neighbors said they hadn't seen him in a couple weeks. Dover leaned against the doorframe and flipped his notebook closed. And they didn't think that was unusual? He shook his head. The kid was a shut-in. The landlord only checked on him because rent was due. I stood back, taking in the macabre scene. It's like he didn't realize he was dying. What do you think he was looking at that was so engrossing? Dover gave me a sideways glance and a knowing smile. It might not be porn, you know. I mean, both of his hands are on the desk. The station was bustling per usual for a Monday morning. The smell of burnt coffee mixed with poor choices in aftershave and cologne were suffocating. I sat at my desk opposite Dover's. Mine stacked with manila folders and random documents to be filled out or filed, and his, spotless, with the exception of a couple tchotchkes of unknown origin. It had been a week since the emaciated corpse had been found, and I held the freshly delivered coroner's report in my hands. I skimmed rapidly through the medical jargon on my way to the summary page. Severe organ damage, likely from dehydration and malnutrition. 
and I shook my head in disbelief. How does an otherwise healthy person just let themselves die like that? Suicide? Dover said, reading the report over my shoulder. I exchanged the file for the proffered cup of coffee in his hand. There are a lot quicker, less painful methods than slowly dehydrating to death. He nodded, taking a seat. Jenna Harkins, one of the officers, knocked timidly on the door before stepping in. Detective Gable, you two are working that mummified corpse case, right? Yeah, but there isn't much to work. Looks like an accidental death. Well, then I guess I have some bad news for you. I took a bracing gulp from my cup, then gestured the go-ahead. There are more. A lot more. Thirty-eight deaths in total peppered the country. Wasted, emaciated bodies found at their computers, game consoles, or in front of their TVs. Some clutching cell phones and tablets in a rigored death grip. The cases were ruled accidental, then closed without much thought, until more steadily began to roll in. It didn't take long for the labels to switch from accidental to suspicious. We managed to trace the first known case back to early December, two days after the worst blizzard the state had seen in decades. Dover requested archives to be on the lookout for any similar cases occurring before our suspected Victim Zero. Speculation began to circulate about the cause of the mysterious deaths, ranging from cult activity to Sergeant Vickers' less accepted occult activity. But the more withered corpses I saw, the more I began to believe Vickers. So far, they've all been male between 18 and 65. I thought out loud as Dover strode ahead, ducking under the yellow tape, then stretching it overhead allowing me to pass beneath. And they were all using some kind of electronic device capable of connecting to the internet. I weaved through uniforms to the living room of the small bungalow. Jenna approached, looking worse for wear, and obviously rattled. Lee Adler, 38. Sister found him, she said, handing me the deceased's driver's license and wallet. She then gestured to the couch and remains. I hesitated at the sight, wanting to scramble back out of the room and away from that face. I closed my eyes against the image, but it was already burned into my mind. The body reclined on an overstuffed sofa, its feet on the coffee table, and upper body propped up on one skeletal arm. The skin was stretched tight, every bone protruding so fiercely they could have burst through the waxy coating at the slightest touch. The head crooked downward, but I could still see the lidless sunken eyes, sharp and focused. The lips so thin, they had drawn back in a toothy smile, and the nose and fingers blackened at their tips. I knelt beside the sofa, following the corpse's gaze down to a cell phone cradled loosely in one hand. I reached out, gently grabbing the edge, and began wiggling it free. The hand snapped shut around the phone. I reeled backward into Dover, who caught me under my arms and brought me to my feet. He moved. I could barely get the words out. I could see the skeletal figure, 
trying to work its jaw and manipulate its tongue. But the jaw made a horrible grinding noise, and the tongue fell to pieces in its mouth. Get the paramedics. He's still alive! Lee Adler didn't make it to the hospital. As far as I could tell, he didn't make it to the ambulance. His sister sobbed hysterically in the passenger seat of one of the squad cars parked out front, an officer doing his best to console her. She said she talked to him this morning. They were supposed to meet up, that's why she came to check on him. Jenna trembled as she spoke then excused herself to answer a call coming in over the dispatch radio clipped to her shoulder. Another week went by with more bodies being reported. We'd done everything we could to keep the strange deaths out of the news, but the media picked up on it, and the cyber serial murders quickly became a sensation. We warned people to limit their computer usage, to stay off the internet unless absolutely necessary. But the deaths trended on every social media platform, and were the most popular search on all major search engines, so fat lot of good that did. It felt like a never-ending series of events, leaving no time for sleep or even a small respite. Dover sat jotting down notes from case files, powered by toxic levels of caffeine and willpower. While I reclined at my desk, phone pressed against my ear, hoping for some good news from the chief M.E. I've examined them all, detective. There's no sign of disease, injury, or illness. None that would result in death, anyway. And now, I don't think we can rely on time of death, either. Why not? The last victim, Adler. His organ temperature at death was already in line with ambient temperature. It should have taken several hours to fall such a degree. I'm sorry, detective, but I'm at a loss. I pinched the bridge of my nose and thanked Dr. Rosenfield for her time before hanging up, then sat staring at the photos of shriveled faces laid out in full horrific color until a sudden shrillness roused me from thought. A great deal of commotion was coming from the lobby. I sprinted down the hallway and into the clerk's office with Dover at my heels. A group of people were shouting and waving their arms in the air on the other side of the safety glass, trying to get the desk clerk's attention, who refused to look up from his laptop. Dover tried to settle the restless crowd, while I crept up behind the clerk, peering over his shoulder. Peters, what the hell are you doing? He ignored me, continuing to stare at the computer screen. A young woman, 18 or 20 years old, stared back. She smiled, fixing her black snowflake-dotted hair as it fluttered in the wind, her nearly translucent skin blending in with the fallen snow around her. Sunlight streamed through icy pine boughs in the background, wrapping the girl in a halo of warm yellow light. Somehow, she seemed familiar. I was sure I knew her face, but I couldn't recall where I'd seen her. It was then I noticed a chill in the air, and saw Peters creating little puffs of steam with each breath. The young woman stopped to stare directly into the camera, locking eyes with the entranced clerk. He was held captive by her gaze, 
wearing a dreamy expression, as though he were staring at a high school crush. A notification sounded as a pop-up window appeared over the video. Invite Yuki to chat. The clerk hovered over the accept button, Yuki smiling and slowly nodding her encouragement. Yuki. That name. That face. I knew this girl somehow. The click of the mouse startled me. Wait! I was too late. Yuki shook with a soundless laugh, her features shifting, eyes darkening, and lips taking on a bluish hue. Her black hair whipping in the wind, hiding her face. Dover made a move toward me, but I waved him off. I could feel the frosty air cutting through, chilling my blood. Still in a stupor-like state, the clerk let out a sigh of steamy vapor, which poured from his mouth, gathering into a steady stream of mist flowing toward the laptop screen. What the hell? I took a step back into the warmth of the office, then watched in horror as his face became taut and his eyes sunk deep into their sockets as more of the misty breath flowed from his mouth. Peters, snap out of it! I grabbed him by the shoulders, shaking him violently, but he didn't so much as blink. Dover lunged at the desk, grabbing the laptop, slamming the screen shut. Peters stirred, beginning to regain control, only to double over in agony as the mist continued to escape his lips. I turned the computer over, ripping out the battery and tossing it to the floor, but the clerk's wails of pain grew as he dropped to his knees writhing on the dirty linoleum. Shit, shit, shit! I looked wildly around the office for anything to stop the invisible onslaught. Dover rushed to the large blinking modem on the back wall, grabbed the cord feeding it, and ripped it from the outlet. Peters let out a final sigh before his body sagged, becoming quiet and still. Now we had seen it ourselves and there was no arresting it. That girl haunted me more than the smiling, mummified faces of her victims. I knew I'd seen her face and heard her name. I stood at the missing persons board. Black and white photos and artist sketches stared back at me like a grim wallpaper design. The edge of a flyer caught my eye. It was just the corner of a grin and a name. Yuki Masaki. I grabbed the flyer, yanking it from the board. Two months ago, 19-year-old Yuki Masaki went missing and was marked down as a runaway. I'd walked by her picture every day for a month before the other flyers overtook hers. Dover watched the solemn gathering of Peters's body as he was prepared to be taken to the ME, though at that point... An autopsy seemed trivial. A YouTube video sucked the life out of him. <sighs> I'd like to see that typed up on the cause of death line. I handed Dover the flyer. That's the girl from the video. She went missing the same time these bodies started cropping up. Not a runaway, then. Probably not. The tech guys worked wonders, as they tended to do. 
the station's computer traffic was monitored around the clock, and they were able to tell us the video that killed Peters came in as a live stream from a cell phone, and with a little more time, they would be able to give an exact location. A response unit was forming, but we couldn't wait. Calls were still coming in, reporting bodies being found on trains and in internet cafes. We had to find the source as soon as possible. The IT team pointed us in the direction of a mountainous area of the National Park just outside city limits. The signal coming from over a mile off the marked trail, well into the white craggy woods. Snow hung heavy on the pines, bending their branches low, making them creak in the slightest breeze. The sun was beginning to set, and the blinding white of the snow softened into something a bit warmer in color, though it did nothing for the near sub-zero temperatures. The signal was remarkably strong for being so far into what should have been a dead zone. Dover and I crunched through the knee-high snow, making steady progress toward the last location we'd been given. You hear that? Dover said, stopping to cup his hand around his ear. What is it? I stood as still as I could, but all I could hear were the trees complaining under the weight of wet snow. Crying. The wind kicked up around us, gusting through the thinning pines, pushing the fallen snow back into the air as a blinding ground blizzard. Dover! I called out for him, but my voice was thrown back at me. I couldn't see or hear anything through the roaring snow. He'd been less than ten feet away on my right. I tried to move in his direction, hand outstretched, but I was blown backward onto my original path. The sound of a woman weeping rose over the frosted tempest, drawing me forward. With a few steps, I passed through the frigid squall into a muted clearing. I was frozen. Not from the three-dog night, but from absolute terror. Black hair and black eyes met me. They seemed to hover, unanchored to a physical form, the hair flowing freely, as though it were submerged in a clear lake. When the last streaks of sunlight sank behind the mountains, casting cold blue shadows, I could see it plainly. A nude woman, skin so pale she blended in with the surrounding snow, eyes like an endless black void, and hair that moved and shifted in graceful fluidity, obscuring her face. Yuki Masaki? The woman made no sign of acknowledgement, continuing to glide toward me, leaving the snow undisturbed as she passed through the drifts. Stop right there! I drew my sidearm, aiming at the approaching figure. She opened her arms, beckoning me toward her. My arms fell to my sides, and the pistol slipped from my hand, disappearing beneath the snow. I stepped closer, unable to stop or look away from her terrible beauty. Gable? Dover? Jenna's voice shattered the silence. Lights swept across the clearing, where I stood alone and shivering. A thick mist hung in the spot where the woman had been, 
and the raging storm behind me was gone. Jenna and a team of ten other officers burst through the wall of pines, flooding the area with light and sound. It took less than an hour to find the remains of Yuki Misaki, her cell phone clutched in her withered, frostbitten hand, the battery long dead. The last person to see Yuki alive was her boyfriend, who sobbed out a confession of leaving the girl beaten and stranded to be consumed by the blizzard. Yuki's body was returned to her family and buried. The cyber serial murders stopped. We searched for Dover for weeks. A dedicated team combing the woods from first shift to last. By mid-March, the snow began to melt. We found his revolver lying on the forest floor, but no other sign of him. Eventually, the search team was recalled, and his case went cold. I knew we wouldn't find him alive. I'd known that when we didn't find him the first night of the search. But we'd been together too long for me to just let him rot in that forsaken forest. I took an extended leave, under the guise of needing some time away. Hey, Gable! Jenna sprinted up behind me, waving a plump manila envelope, as I unlocked my car. These are from Archives. Something Dover requested. I thought you might want it. I slid the package under my arm and thanked her. Are you going to be okay? I don't know. I answered honestly, sliding a box containing two tchotchkes of unknown origin into my car. I drove out to the National Park and walked the mile off the marked trail to where Dover had gone missing. I set up a tent and gathered stones and wood for a fire pit. I wasn't going to leave until I found him. The night air coated every available surface with a thin frost. I huddled next to the fire, as close as I could without bursting into flames. I withdrew the thick envelope marked archives from my backpack and began leafing through the enclosed papers. Cases identical to the cyber serial murders stretched back to the station's founding in the early 1850s. They lacked the electronic element, but hundreds of male corpses resembling those of the latest victims were discovered all over the mountain and surrounding forest. Occasionally, couples were reported missing, with the man being found a mummified husk, and the woman never being found at all. One case stood out from the others. This case left a witness. I read in stunned silence as the air grew cold around me, in spite of the rolling flames. A father and his young son, on a weekend camping trip, were caught in a freak blizzard in early spring. When they were found by park rangers the next day, the father had been reduced to a withered collection of bones and tattered skin. The son, unharmed, told of hearing crying in the forest, then seeing a woman in white, who he described as a beautiful goddess with long black hair. He said she sang to him before disappearing into a snowy mist. A blast of icy wind shook the trees and tore the papers from my hand, blowing them into the air and scattering them around the fire stone pit. 
I quickly snatched them off the ground before another wind could tear through the clearing. I looked up to see Dover's thin, twisted figure slumped inches away, the dancing light casting shadows on his weathered face. Jesus, Dover. Snow began to fall in large flakes, heavier and faster with each passing second. A wailing cry bounced around the darkened pines as I grabbed my pistol. I knew it wouldn't do any good to run. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Woods and the Goddess as written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 13, Kristen Mass. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you. Written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number five, Eric Peabody. In it, we'll find ourselves at the mercy of a man with unclear motives, with no idea how we got there or where we are. But one thing is clear, something is very, very wrong. Without further ado, I present to you Thank you for everything. Oh, looks like someone's waking up a bit. That's real good. I was getting a little worried that I might have given you a bit too much... Oh, hey, no, no, no. Don't try to be sitting up. You're far too... Well, you just don't want to tax yourself. You know, in your current state. Just want to relax and keep your head back on the pillow there. I mean, you probably can't feel the pillow, but trust me, it's there. Don't you worry about that. Just keep your head back and don't try to move or anything. Lay back and keep those peepers pointed up at the ceiling. Now, I bet you've got all sorts of questions. Or rather, you will in a bit when you get your head back together. Waking up from this shit is always disorienting as hell. Trust me, I've seen it a bunch of times. Never tried it myself, but most folks I've seen go through about the same process. I can tell exactly what you're thinking right now. Well, if you can call it thinking. I'm guessing it's more like popcorn right now. You know, 
Those bags of that gross fucking popcorn you can heat up in the microwave. You toss that paper bag in and start nuking it, and for the first while, there's nothing. Just that drone of the microwave and that plastic or Pyrex or whatever the fuck plate spinning round and round. The lights are on, but nobody's home, like they say. But after a bit, you get that first pop, and then a few more. They just bounce around in that bag for a bit like they're the only ones in there, spinning around with that humming noise. That's what I bet you're feeling like right now. Probably just got to, I can't feel anything, and I can't move. And I suppose that's about it for the moment. You got your lights back on, but there's no one home except for those few lonely kernels of popcorn in there. But trust me, my friend, from the outside, I know that the rest of the bag is just waiting to pop. You'll get there. I'm counting on it. Hell, you might not even be catching most of what I'm saying. I always end up rushing this part, but I guess that's just how I am. I'm a pretty friendly guy when it comes down to it, and I like chatting with people. I don't mind sitting and waiting, I guess. In fact, I can be pretty patient when the situation calls for it. I always try to bring a book or something to pass the time. This time it's... Oh, here, I'll show you. You just keep your head back and I'll reach over and hold it up in front of your face. There. See that? You probably can't make out the words, but you can see the picture, right? This is a collection of stories by Edgar Allan Poe. I'm on The Cask of Amontillado. Famous story, but I never read it before. Anyway, my leg's hurting me a bit, so I'm gonna head back over to my chair. You just keep looking up at that ceiling. Anyway, the book helps, but I guess I'm always just waiting for the guy to wake up. I've tried books, magazines, crossword puzzles. Never bring my phone with me because of the GPS tracking. That wouldn't be a smart thing to do. But I've tried just about everything else. <laughs> Hell, I even bought one of those Game Boy things about ten years ago. That was pretty fun, but still, no matter what, I always start talking like a damn chatty Kathy as soon as the guy wakes up. Like I said, I'm a friendly guy. I like people, and people like me. I even like you. Even though you fetched me a pretty good one on the leg a little bit ago. No hard feelings there. You gotta do what you gotta do. Just like I gotta do what I gotta do. Oh shit, man, you're not gonna wanna do that. I know it's a real bitch, but you're not gonna be able to sit up. I mean, have a blast and give it a try if you really want, but it's not gonna work. I got you tied down pretty good there. Sure, I'm not perfect, but this isn't my first time doing this. <laughs> not by a long shot. I've seen bigger guys than you try to get out of these sorts of restraints, and all they end up doing is getting bruised and scraped up. You're trussed up better than a Thanksgiving turkey, buddy. Your ankles, your calves, your thighs, one over each knee, your wrists, your forearms, your biceps and a big fat one across your chest. I even got one on your neck and another on your forehead. Trust me, the best thing to do is just relax and take it as it comes. We've got some work here to do, some stuff to talk about, and it's going to be a lot harder for you if you keep trying to wriggle around like you are. I mean, you don't need to worry anyway. Not to put too fine a point on it, but 
I can do whatever I want to you like this. Struggling isn't going to accomplish anything. There, that's better. You kind of tuckered yourself out a bit, didn't you? I see you breathing pretty hard there. I said this a bit earlier, but you might not have understood at the time. It's going to take a bit for you to start feeling a little normal again. You know when you wake up from a deep sleep and sometimes you have trouble moving around and you can't clench your hands that tight and that sort of thing? This is kind of like that, but way worse. I'm not that good with numbers, but if you held a gun to my head, I'd say you're probably at about 20 or 30% your normal strength. Hell, even if you were wide awake and spun up on some killer shit, you wouldn't be able to get out of those ties. You're just gonna hurt yourself. Just stay back on the pillow and try to catch your breath. I know the gag probably isn't helping with that, but I'm afraid that's how it is. I've tried this without the gag before, and good fucking god, it is way more trouble than it's worth. Trust me, I'm a regular chatty Cathy just like I said, but even I know that passing on the gag is a bad idea. Well, I guess the good news is that if you're struggling, you're coming around a bit. Probably moved past the I-can't-feel-anything stage to the where-am-I stage. That's good. That means we can start talking our business in just a bit. We're not quite there yet, but your brain has a bit more popcorn than it did a few minutes ago. So let's start with the basics. I know you've been staring at that ceiling for a bit now, but why don't you take a good long look at it? You can't move your head, but you can move those eyes, so let them crawl across every inch of that thing. It's one ugly motherfucker, isn't it? One of those disgusting drop ceilings with the crunchy fiber tiles. Believe it or not, these used to be white. Or rather, I'm guessing they were white. I wasn't ever here when this place was new, but I can't imagine they looked this bad when they were installed. They were probably white and clean, not water-stained and moldy like they are now. I know you can't see it from where you are, but there are a few fluorescent lights mounted up there too, just down past where your feet are. They're not turned on right now. This place doesn't even have electricity anymore, but I've got this little Coleman lantern over here by me on the table. That's why you can see anything at all. So, what do you think this place used to be? I know you don't have much to go on, but I want to get that brain of yours working a bit better, and this is as good a way as any. It's like one of those little brain exercises where you look at a picture and try to find all the monkeys or some fucking thing like that. Doesn't really do anything, but revs up the old synapses just a bit. Kind of like after you break a leg real bad or something and need to start doing small little exercises to get your strength back. Rehabilitation. In fact, that's kind of why we're here in the first place. Rehabilitation. Anyway, I guess I can just go ahead and tell you where you are. It's not like you can talk right now anyway. This used to be a hospital. Four floors above ground and four below. We're down at the bottom right now, which probably explains how that damn mold and damp got into the tiles you're looking at. I know you can't see it, but there are puddles on the floor here and there. Believe it or not, this is one of the cleaner rooms. Yeah, the whole place is kind of gross, but it's just perfect for what we need, you and me. I've used other places in the past, but 
Once I found this old building, I knew I'd found what I was always looking for. Having something out of the way is always essential. There's sometimes some noise involved in this, and the last thing we need is someone passing by and deciding to stick their nose in my beeswax. The problem is that so many places that are out of the way for most people aren't really out of the way for others. Warehouses and abandoned homes and that sort of thing can be tricky, because once the owners shut it down and move on, you've got your vagues to contend with. Actually, <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this. I actually had one time where I was sitting in a room in an abandoned house with a guy, just like you and me are sitting here now, and we were... Well, we were taking care of what our business was, and I look up to see some fucking junkie just standing in the doorway, looking in at us. That son of a bitch was skinny as hell, and I'm sure that didn't help none, but still, it looked like his eyes were about to pop right out of his head. Startled me so bad that I actually fell out of my chair. I don't know who was more scared, him or me. Anyway, he turned and ran, and it took me 15 minutes of chasing the guy down and taking care of him before I got back to the room and back to the actual work at hand. Anyway, that's part of what makes this place so great. There are a few towns around, but the nearest is five miles away. No one really wanders out this direction. And on top of that, the building's in pretty good shape when it comes down to it. Oh, sure, it's not much to look at, but at least the structure is sound. Turns out that the place was built, but before it opened, there was some lawsuit with the parent company and they just cut their losses and rolled out to greener pastures. Didn't bother demoing the building or anything. I looked it up. That was about 20 years ago, and I guess the location isn't worth enough for anyone else to have ever taken over. On top of that, we've got all sorts of useful stuff in here, like the hospital bed you're in right now all sorts of other fun little tools and things sitting around as well. I really struck the jackpot on this one. I've used it a bunch of times. In fact, just a few months ago, I was using the room right next to this one. Anyway, the isolation and the fun little extras are all fine and dandy. But the main thing is that this place has a certain... Oh, I don't know. It has a feel about it. An atmosphere. You can't see all of it right now, but you can see those ceiling tiles, and you can probably figure out the rest. Water on the floor, mold on the walls. Every once in a while, you're going to hear something scuttle around out in the hallway or in the walls. Rats or bugs or something or other. The whole thing really has an impact on a person's mind. Kind of gets them in the right headspace to have a serious conversation just like you and I are going to have here pretty soon. In fact, here, this might help things a bit. I think I want to drive home just how much this place can get to you. You just stay where you are for a minute. I know you can't really see me. In fact, you probably don't even know what I look like. I try to be pretty careful with that sort of thing, but you maybe caught a glimpse when I was showing you the book. In any case, you can imagine I look any way you like, but I know you can at least see my shadow as I'm moving around between you and that little lamp on the table. You see, I'm a little worried that you're maybe not grasping the full situation that you're in. So how about we just turn off this light for a little bit? There. 
That really brings out the other senses, doesn't it? Just listen. It's so quiet in here that you might not think there's anything to listen to, but you can hear some of it now, can't you? The occasional drip, sometimes into a puddle, sometimes onto the linoleum. Maybe some slight creaking somewhere from down the hall as the building shifts a bit. Maybe just the air as it moves around and whatever little movements there are to push it. Listening like this kind of gives a, a sense of space, doesn't it? You can hear how some things are distant, others are a little closer. More than that, you can hear everything between the sounds, can't you? It really drives home how big this place is, and just how empty. With that light on, you can tell that you're in a room, but with the light out, with the silence, well, the whole size of the building really sinks in. Sort of makes you realize that you're in this place, this unknown place in the middle of nowhere, and there isn't anything going on in here. You don't know why you're here, but you do know that you're strapped to a bed. Strapped to a bed all alone in a place where no one would find you for days or weeks, maybe even months. All alone with me. You're probably hearing me move around a bit. Nothing much, but you can tell from my voice when I'm looking at you and when I'm facing away. The slight rustling of my clothes as I shift in the chair. There are some other sounds I'm sure you've heard that you might not be able to place. I bet you're curious as hell as to what I'm doing. Don't worry about it. We'll get to that. I'm pretty sure that shot I gave you hasn't fully worn off yet. You might be feeling some aching here and there. I know you're not feeling everything yet, because some of those sounds you've been hearing are your own clothes shifting around. I've been rubbing your legs off and on for a couple of minutes now, just to see if you could feel it. And you haven't jumped out of your skin and started to try to scream, so parts of you, at least, are still sort of numb. Then again, by the way your breath just sped up when I told you that, I know that your brain isn't fully numb, so maybe we can start with what we need to do. You're probably out of most of the mental fog by now, so I bet what you're thinking right at this instant is, if he can touch me and I can't feel it... What else can he do without me knowing? Yeah, that's a real son of a bitch of a thought to have. Well, like I said earlier, he really shouldn't worry too much about it. I can do whatever the hell I want to do to you, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So why be concerned? Let go and let God, they say. Still, I think we'll leave the light off for the time being. 
I want you to hear what I have to say, and I don't mind the dark. I can still work in the dark. Amnesia is almost always part of what this drug does to you. You'll start remembering the basics pretty soon, within a day or so, so I'm not going to bother going over any of that. Who am I? Who are you? Where am I? What are you going to do to me? Those are all the boring questions, and I've already answered some of them. That's part of the reason why the gag is standard practice. All of that shit is so... tedious. Everyone always asks that, even if they can't talk. I can see it on their faces. Hell, I can practically hear it in their thoughts after all this time. Standard shit, but there's another one that always gets asked that is interesting. Why am I here? I've tried doing this a bunch of different ways over the years, but what I've found works best is a reframing. It doesn't matter that no one ever remembers things at this point, but they all start getting indignant nonetheless. I can always tell. No one ever believes that they could be a bad person, that what they did was wrong. So that's where the whole story thing comes in. I don't know what it is, but people seem to accept it a bit easier if there's a degree of separation. So, I'm going to tell you a story. You can believe it or not, but you're sure as hell going to listen to it. Besides, I like to talk while I'm doing what I need to do here. Once upon a time, there was a man. His name isn't important. In fact, nothing about this man was particularly important. He was just another normal man in a normal town, working a normal, boring job. But there was something about this man that wasn't normal. This man had a hobby. A very, very interesting hobby. I can't tell you when this man started with his hobby... I can say that he was indulging it as early as five years back, which is when he crossed paths with a young woman named Patricia Reinhardt in Cleveland, Ohio. He met her one day as he was purchasing some aspirin from a drugstore. Patricia had the misfortune of meeting this unimportant man as she rang him up at the checkout stand. I know, because I saw the receipt. That was the first time that Patricia met this man, and she probably didn't even remember him five minutes later, but this man sure remembered Patricia. In fact, Patricia sorta stuck in his mind, you might say. This man and Patricia ended up spending some time together a few months later. Not a lot of time, but some very important time. After that, Patricia didn't spend time with anyone else ever again. Like I said, I can't say for sure that this man already had his hobby when he met Patricia, but I do know that he sure enjoyed his hobby. He enjoyed it so much that he just had to share it with some other people. Six other people, to the best of my knowledge. Randy Blakemore was one. He was a UPS driver. He delivered a package to this unimportant man about six months before he suddenly stopped coming in to work. That one must have been a bitch for the police. 
So many people to look at. Almost impossible, you might say. Unless someone was particularly good at waiting, and liked to talk to people and hear what they had to say. I gotta sit down for a minute. My hands are getting tired here. Besides, there's no use in rushing things. We still have lots to talk about. Okay, that's better. Nothing like taking a load off for a little bit. Well, after Randy, there was Anthony Carr. Then Louise Connolly. Wait, that's not right. It was Mary Rodriguez, then it was Louise. After that was some poor bastard named Percival and Trajan. Who the fuck names their kid Percival? Anyway, after poorly named Percival was Antoinette Lefevre. She was the last. After that, this unimportant man went missing himself. Who knows who might be looking for him? Who knows who's even noticed that he's gone? I'm sure someone has, but that's not part of the story, I'm afraid. In fact, before our story can go forward, we have to go back a little bit. Past Antoinette, and back to Percival. Percival and Trajan, whose father is Reginald and Trajan. I guess old-fashioned names just sort of run in the family. Well, it's an old family, after all. A proud family. You see, Percival was a bit different than all the other folks that this unimportant, stupid man crossed paths with. Percival came from money. Like everyone else that went missing, the police became involved with Percival's disappearance. But when the police exhausted their investigative leads, old Reginald had the means to continue the search through other avenues. I guess you could say that the old man had a fire lit under his ass. He really didn't take too kindly to his son vanishing, and he was downright convinced that something suspicious was going on. He knew that there was no way that his son would abandon a fortune and a life of luxury to just take off on his own. Reginald talked to a man he knew, who talked to another man, and that man decided to meet me for coffee one day about a month ago. Speaking of coffee, my own little coffee break here is about done. Time to get back to work, I suppose. Just focus on my voice and not on the noise. So, this man takes me out for coffee and tells me about Reginald and how distraught he is. Beyond distraught, actually. Destroyed. The man's old, and his son was his life. In fact, he's so destroyed that he's sort of become consumed with finding out what happened. My friend tells me that Reginald is actually a little frightening, like he'd do almost anything to find Percival and that he would do anything to anyone that had anything to do with his disappearance. Being the friendly person that I am, I express my condolences and tell my friend that I might be able to help out. In fact, wouldn't you know it, I've had some success with finding people in the past. People that others haven't been able to find. I've also been pretty good at expressing to these people, when I found them, how much pain and heartache they've caused. I've been so successful in that regard 
that everyone I've met with has learned the error of their ways and has never hurt anyone again. Not once. My friend tells me that old Mr. Entragian would be just so, so happy if I was able to help him. So I do what I do best. I start talking. I talk to pretty much everyone I can come across that knew Percival, even if they just met him briefly. After that, I talk to a few friends I have. Old friends that I've known for years. You see, that's the real benefit of being a friendly person. You end up meeting all sorts of people that like you and want to help out, want to do whatever they can. Some of these people have access to certain databases. And for a guy like me that's patient, you can slowly build a pretty damn impressive network of information. From that, you can find new people to talk to and learn all sorts of interesting things. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to come across some names that raise an eyebrow. For example, maybe Percival ran into a fellow that did some work on his car, and maybe that fellow's co-worker happened to remember the interaction. And, maybe, after checking some credit card records, it turns out that this person ordered something online, and that the delivery driver ended up vanishing a little while later. Maybe, just maybe, this same person had a brief exchange with a young girl at a drugstore who also went missing. It's really funny how things like that come together. Anyway, after that, it wasn't too hard to find a good time for you and I to catch up. It's kinda ironic, actually. For someone that spent so much time following other people, you sure didn't have a clue when I started hanging around. As I'm sure you know, it's important to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row before you actually reach out and grab someone. I've been keeping an eye on you for about two weeks now. Like I said, I'm a patient guy. You never even knew I was around. I actually stood right behind you in line at that McDonald's a few days back, kind of just for kicks. I'm patient, but I like to have fun too, you know. So, I watch you for a bit, figure out when a good time would be to finally introduce myself, so to say. And then wham bam, thank you ma'am, here we are. Just like clockwork. And, would you look at that? I think I'm just about done with the hard part here. Time to wipe off my hands and sit back down. Phew, that's better. I suppose none of us are getting any younger, but I swear that these last few years have really started to catch up with me. I've been doing this for a while now. 25 years between profession and recreation. You learn a bunch when you do something that long, but ain't it a bitch that your body starts to go on you right when you've got everything else down to a science. You know, old Reginald gave me a piece of paper. He wrote some stuff on it and wanted to make sure that I read it to whoever took Percy when I caught up with him. I've got it in my pocket here, but I think we can skip it. He's a sentimental old fucker, and he'll feel good thinking that I read it, but it's some poorly written shit when it comes down to it. Same sort of stuff I've seen a few times before. You see, when you get a reputation like I have, when people know you're good at a certain thing, 
you start attracting similar types of folks. All of them have vengeance on their minds, but more than you might expect write notes and stuff like that for me to read to the guy. It's always some version of the same thing. Not worth wasting time on. Besides, what's more important is what he asked me to do to you. Hell, I could have skipped out on that too. It's not like the man's ever going to come down here to check, but this is the fun part. Before we get into that, though, what do you think of that story I told you? Pretty crazy, isn't it? Here you are, brain all fucked up on drugs, you trying to piece it together like all the king's horses and all the king's men, don't have the foggiest idea who you are, and I come in and tell you this yarn about how you're an actual goddamn serial murderer. I bet you're starting to believe it. I mean, what else could explain all of this? You're untethered, my friend, and having some explanation to grasp onto might be enough for you to start to take it as gospel. I mean, people in extreme, terrifying situations are desperate for some order, some rationality. In any case, I guess part of me telling it to you is mainly so I get a chance to hear it myself. After all, you're not really the main audience for that one. That's a story for Reginald. I wanted to rehearse it a bit before telling him, because that particular party needs to believe it even more than you do. I frankly don't give much of a shit if you believe it or not. You're down here with me, and things for you are pretty much going to go the way that they're going to go. For Reginald, if he feels like something's fishy, it might turn into a bit of a headache for me. God damn, is it dark in here. I can hear you squirming, though. I'm guessing that the dope is wearing off a bit more and some of that aching is starting to turn a bit sharper. I'm done telling you not to struggle. In a bit, once the pain really sets in, there's not going to be much you can do about it anyway. You just do what you gotta do, buddy. Like I said, I've been doing this a while. It's something I'm good at, but I don't think I ever would have fallen into it unless it was something that I also enjoyed, you know? There's that old fucking platitude about doing what you love and never working a day in your life. I think that a lot of people just tell themselves that to try to keep sane, but for me it's the damn truth. I love every part of my job. I love working the details. I like talking to people and watching people. I like how every situation slowly builds to a head, and it always ends up here. Not always, you know, this particular place but always someplace like this. I like the work I get to do once we're here. In fact, I like it so goddamn much that I sometimes do it even when there's no client involved. Doing it on my own is just as fun. In fact, that's how I got into it in the first place. I had my flounder in younger days, but got good at the basics pretty quick. Then, I stumbled into a situation where someone mentioned that they had someone that they wish wasn't around anymore. I figured, oh, what the hell, and helped that buddy out. One thing led to another, and then I was doing a few jobs a year. 
Just got lucky, I guess. Still, it was never so much work that I didn't like drumming up my own action on the side. Gotta keep those skills up. And to be honest, it's just so much fun that I can never say no when the inspiration strikes me, even if things sometimes don't go as planned. I'm pretty good at cleaning things up afterwards. Oh, hey, did you hear that? That little scratching, scuttling noise out in the hall. That's a rat, if I'm not mistaken. I was wondering when they'd start coming around. This place really is spooky as hell, isn't it? It sure does help drive home the gravity of the situation to the folks I bring here. I am so damn lucky that I found this place. I love it every time I get to use it. Did I mention that I was here just a few months ago, in the room right next door? That was a particularly fun time. People can go through all sorts of different reactions when they wake up in here with me, but that time was special. When I was in that room with Percy, I could tell that even right up to the end, he didn't believe that this could actually be happening to him. After all, he was a rich kid, good-looking, had his whole life stretching out in front of him. He had that look on his face. I actually checked in on him a little bit ago, before you started to wake up. He doesn't have that look on his face anymore. In fact, there's no look there at all. I gotta tell you, this is a strange world we live in. Percy was one of my side gigs, something I did just for fun, just for me. You cannot believe my surprise when my buddy hits me up a while later to tell me that he has a job for me, and the client is the father of the same guy I had just worked on a month or so back. It took everything I had to keep the shock off my face. Hell, I'm still surprised. I don't know how many more years of work I have left in me, but this one will be one for the books, even if I do another 25 years. I went home after that coffee shop and laughed until I was crying. The hardest part about the whole thing was that I had so many damn options. This was like sitting down at a huge buffet, and it all looks delicious. But you know there's no way you can sample everything before you're too full to eat anymore. But I knew that I had all the time in the world. I wasn't going to have to do the research and all that stuff this time. After all, I didn't have to find THE guy, I just had to find A guy. Then I got the idea that I could really sell this to the old man and figured, how goddamn funny would it be to use some of my other personal jobs in the process? I think that Reginald figured this was some kidnapping or something. Something to bribe some money out of him and his family, but it went wrong and Percival ended up dead. The thought of convincing him that some fucking serial killer took his son by mistake, that's just too rich to pass up. Patricia Reinhardt was mine, as was Randy Blakemore. So was Anthony Carr. They were all mine, buddy and all of them will stand up to some scrutiny if Reginald decides to look up the names I gave him. They're all missing, 
and there's no reason at all for him to question the story further. The whole thing is absolutely, poetically perfect. So, instead of spending a few months investigating like I usually do, I just did the first parts. Talked to all of Percy's friends. I did just enough so that word would get back to the old man that I was poking around, which is exactly what he wanted. I cannot tell you how hard it was to keep from laughing the whole goddamn time. There I was, talking to Percy's friends about who he's been talking to, where he's been, what he's been doing, did anyone see anything suspicious, and the whole time I'm waiting for one of them to say something that points back to me, but no one ever did. I gotta say, that is the most validating shit you can imagine. Here I am, investigating my own crime, and no one's the wiser. After that, do you know what I did? I went on vacation. I spent two weeks in sunny California, just enjoying the weather and the beaches. After that, I came back and just picked someone that I knew had crossed paths with Percy. It wasn't hard. I had talked to everyone he knew, and could pick from a hundred people that had chance interactions with him in the right time frame. You were easy to find. A small town schmo with a small town life. Someone that wouldn't be looked for too much, and just enough of a loner that I could make up any story I wanted and the old man would buy it. And now, here we are. Everything wrapped up nice and tight. I actually have to thank you. Doing what I do, you don't get many chances to talk about your work. And even if I did, I doubt this is one that I could ever tell anyone. You've been the perfect companion for this weird journey, my friend. This is truly one that will stay with me forever. But I'm afraid that I've got to get running. I'm hearing more rats out in the halls. They're skittish, but I know that they're also hungry, and the smell of the blood has got to be driving them out of their little rat minds. They would have finished with Percy a long time back, and there's not much else around here to eat. Besides, once the rest of that shot wears off, you're going to start feeling the rest of your body. That's not going to be pleasant for either of us, and I'd just as soon be on my way by that point. You're just going to have to deal with that. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to take a while for all of it to be over. I've got most of your toes and fingers around the base of the hospital bed there with just a few leading out towards the door to the hall. Just enough to help those furry little guys find their way to you without any trouble. There's some blood pooling around your legs from the other incisions, and some of that dripping you've been hearing is the sound of it running off the edge of the bed and onto the floor. Don't worry, though. I'm good at working in the dark, and I know that nothing I did is fatal. There's not much chance you'll pass out before they finish with the appetizers and get on to the main course. With a little luck, you might even be able to remember your name before this is all over. So, that's it for me. Like I said, this is one for the books. Life's a weird thing, isn't it? Best of luck with your new friends, and seriously... Thank you for everything.
I hope you enjoyed Thank You for Everything, as written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number five, Eric Peabody. Thank you for listening and for joining us tonight for this episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Don't forget, all of tonight's performances were featured in our now-concluded fourth and final round of our Evil Idol 2019 Horror Voice Acting Competition, which was hosted on our official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the performances tonight, visit the channel and check out the more than seven dozen fantastic entries in the competition. Though it's too late to vote in the competition at this point, you can still enjoy hours upon hours of amazing tales handpicked by the contestants themselves over the past months. And you can check out 2019 Grand Champion Luis Bermudez, who took home the crown, and find out what's so special about this talented gentleman. Again, you can find Chilling Tales for Dark Nights in the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation to see the roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances from 2019's program. We and the candidates appreciate your support. Information about the 2020 competition will be announced soon as well, so stay tuned for that. Also, as a reminder, take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. 
In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.